We're going to read from the scriptures. Let's turn tonight to the book of Lamentations. There's five chapters in it. We're just going to read from the fourth chapter. We're going to read the first 12 verses together. And if you're thinking, where is Lamentations? Then, if you can find Jeremiah, it's just the next book after Jeremiah. <coughs> so it's lodged between Jeremiah and Ezekiel. <coughs> Lamentations chapter 4 We'll read from verse 1 Let's hear the word of the Lord Reading of course from the authorized version <coughs> How is the gold become dim? How is the most fine gold changed? The stones of the sanctuary are poured out in the top of every street. The precious sons of Zion, comparable to fine gold, how are they esteemed as earthen pictures, the work of the hands of the potter? Even the sea monsters draw out the breast. They give suck to their young ones. The daughter of my people has become cruel like the ostriches in the wilderness. The tongue of the sucking chine cleaveth to the roof of his mouth for first. The young children ask bread, and no man breaketh it unto them. They that did feed delicately are desolate in the streets. They that were brought up and scarlet embraced dunghills. For the punishment of the iniquity of the daughter of my people is greater than the punishment of the sin of Sodom that was overthrown as in a moment, and no hands stayed in her. Her Nazarites were purer than snow. They were whiter than milk. They were more ruddy in body than rubies. Their polishing was of sapphire. Their visage is blacker than a coal. They are not known in the streets. Their skin cleaveth to their bones. It is withered. It has become like a stick. They that be slain with the sword are better than they that be slain with hunger. For these pine away, stricken through for the wants of the fruits of the field. The hands of the pitiful woman have sodden their own children. They were their meat in the destruction of the daughter of my people. The Lord hath accomplished his fury. He hath poured out his fierce anger and hath kindled a fire in Zion. And it hath devoured the foundations thereof. The kings of the earth and all the inhabitants of the world would not have believed that the adversary and the enemy should have entered into the gates of Jerusalem. We'll end the reading there at verse 12. And we pray that God will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now my text tonight is taken from Lamentations chapter 4 and verse 2. It reads as follows, The precious sons of Zion, comparable to fine gold, how are they esteemed as earthen pictures, the work of the hands of the potter. And my theme tonight is the precious sons of God. 
Now, for some weeks, I've told you that there's 72 references in the Bible containing the word precious. And, of course, that's a, a lot of references. Now, I've looked up every reference and I have discovered that these teach us the things that are most precious to the Lord himself. Hence, many preachers have preached a series of messages entitled, The Precious Things of God. The word precious, of course, means highly valued, greatly esteemed, most treasured. And here are the things that are most valuable and treasured by God. Now, I've already preached six messages on this subject. We've thought about the precious thoughts of God, Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. We've thought about the precious word of God, 1 Samuel 3 and 1. And the word of God was precious in those days. What a treasure the word of God is. A treasure to be greatly esteemed and greatly cherished, highly valued. But can we thank God that we have the Bible in our English language? that we can read it publicly and privately, none daring to make us afraid? Isn't it true that the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword? The third message was in the precious blood of Christ, 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. The doctrine of the blood, remember, lies at the very heart of the gospel. Without the shedding of blood, it's no remission. The shed blood of Jesus Christ is the very ground of our justification, the ground of our redemption. And of course, without the blood, we would never have a full and free and forever justification. Then we thought in the fourth message, the precious faith, 2 Peter 1 and 4, true saving faith, remember, is a gift. It's given by God. We, we talked about precious faith being obtained. We talked about the object of faith. The only true object of faith is God in Christ. And of course, true faith operates by love. Then we thought about the precious promises of God. We thought of the scripture that talks about in 2 Peter 1 and 4 about the great and precious promises. And I've told you there's something like 7,300. If we add all the conditional promises in, it could be as many as 30,000. And every promise is yea and amen to us who are in Christ. Then last week I preached on the preciousness of redemption from Psalm 49 verses 8 and 9. Now tonight I want to add to that list of precious things. Look at Lamentation 4 and 2. The precious sons of Zion, comparable to fine gold. How are they esteemed as earthen pictures? The works of the hands of the potter. Now these words, I believe, provide for us a ray of sunshine, a little glimmer of hope amid all the lament of Jeremiah the prophet. Let me give you the context, young people. These are the lamentations of Jeremiah. Jerusalem has just been ransacked by the Babylonian army under King Nebuchadnezzar. The great walls of Jerusalem have been toppled. Her stones are on the streets. The twelve gates of the city have been burned with fire. The temple is completely destroyed. The treasures have been stolen and taken to Babylon. The, the people, the prophets, the priests have been taken captives in their thousands. Their, their freedom has been taken away from them. And I think of Jeremiah. He's called the weeping prophet. I, I think of his lament. Listen to what he says in chapter 1 and verse 12. Is it nothing to you, all ye that pass by? Think of him sitting outside 
the walls of Jerusalem. Behold and see if there be any sorrow like unto my sorrow. He's calling to the merchants, those that are passing by, which is done unto me, wherewith the Lord hath afflicted me in the day of his fierce anger. Really what he's saying is, have you no pity on the suffering that has befallen unto Jerusalem? This man, of course, is heartbroken. He's full of grief. He's filled with a sense of bitterness. And of course, you can almost feel that sense of bitterness in every lament that comes out of his mouth. He's greatly concerned for the loss of the political and the material and the spiritual welfare of the state of the country. He's a true patriarch. He's a true loyalist indeed. And yet amazingly, in the midst of this dark lament, as you feel the pathos of what he's saying coming out from his heart and mind, he's enabled by the Holy Ghost to give a, a little ray of sunshine betimes, a, a little word of encouragement, a little glimmer of hope. We are familiar, of course, with Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22. It's of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. He says, this I recall to mind. Therefore I have hope. And again in Lamentations 4 and 2, he he says this. The precious sons of Zion, comparable to Fangold, how are they esteemed as earthen pictures? The works of the hands of the potter. Now there's three things as I thought about this text of scripture tonight. I want you to think first of all of the description of God's people. Because he says here, the precious sons of Zion. Now now we'll, we'll pause there. Zion is a reference to Jerusalem. The great city of God. The king's palace, of course, was located especially north of Jerusalem. In um, Psalm uh, 84, uh, sorry, four, uh, 48 rather, and in the uh, verse 2 it says, uh, Beautiful for situation, the joy of the whole earth. There is Mount Zion on the sides of the north. The city of the great king. God is known in her palaces for a refuge. And of course many of the commentators accept that Mount Zion is really an arrangement of hills north of Jerusalem. And in the northern corner of that range is really the mountain top that we call Mount Moriah. That was the very place where Abraham built an altar, offered the ram in the stead of Isaac. And that was, of course, the very place to this day where the Lord Jesus bled and died outside the city walls of Jerusalem. And that's the place, of course, where the temple was located, where the temple site is to this day. And... Um, Zion is often referred to uh, as the the temple and its court. But I I want you to understand tonight that this is not just a a description of a city. but, But notice what he says here, the precious sons of Zion. There's the description of God's people, the sons of Zion. 
Because whenever we think of Zion, we're not just going to think of the city of Jerusalem, but we're going to think of its, its children. We're going to think of the citizens of that uh, city. And it, it refers to the, the worshippers who come to worship God at the temple. It refers to the inhabitants of Jerusalem that, that lived there, the, the, the sons of Zion. And of course, this, I believe, is a wonderful picture of the inhabitants of the new Jerusalem, because what we see in earthly Jerusalem is a mirror image of um, the, 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 the church in heaven. And if you turn over there tonight to um, Hebrews, and look with me at Hebrews chapter 12, and if you read in verse 22, and I would encourage you to underline the ands in this portion of Scripture, for there are seven things in all. Seven things really in heaven. It says, But ye are come unto Mount Zion. Notice the spelling, it's with an S, but it's the same place. It can be an S or a Z. And unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh of better things than that of Abel. I want you to understand that the, 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 the uh, church on earth, as far as Jerusalem is concerned, is a mirror image of the church in heaven. It was Peter that said in 1 Peter 2 and 6, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect precious, and he that believeth in him shall not be confounded. And think of the next verse. Unto you therefore which believe, he is precious. You see, the preciousness of Christ is tied in to Mount Zion. He was there literally in the flesh. He was there as a chief cornerstone. He was elect. He, he was precious to God. And he's precious to all who believe. I want to show you one other reference about Zion. And then I'll apply this. Turn over there to Psalm 87. And Psalm 87. And we read there um, another scripture to do with Zion. It says in verse 3. Psalm 87, glorious things are spoken of thee, O city of God, Selah. It says in verse 5, and of Zion it shall be said, this and that man was born in her, and the highest himself shall establish her. The Lord shall count when he writeth up the people that this man was born there, Selah. You see, in relation to the one who was laid in Zion as the chief cornerstone, the one who was elect and precious, he was to be believed on. The Bible says, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. There were those who believed, and there were those who disobeyed. In other words, there were those who, who received Christ. There were those who were born in a, 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 a sense as far as Zion is concerned, born in Zion, the birthplace of souls. The Bible tells us in Isaiah 66 and verse 8, when Zion travailed, she brought forth 
children. You see, Zion is not just a, a geographical location that we can pinpoint on a map. And we can say, well, historical things happened as far as Mount Zion is concerned. Zion's a name for Jerusalem. If they go all the historical things that happened to Jerusalem. But it's also when we lift it up, a, 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 a high spiritual reference. It's a, it's a reference that, that has a picture of joy and glory and triumph of the, the people of heaven, of, of the citizens of heaven, of, of the children of heaven. And they're highly valued in the sight of God. And they're, they're, they're deeply cherished. They're, they're, they're greatly esteemed. The prophet adds the words, the precious sons of Zion. See, every convert that's born again of the Spirit of God is a son and daughter of the heavenly Zion. Every convert is blessed then by the labors of the church. Every convert is strengthened and nurtured by the church. Every convert is cared for by the church. Every convert is comforted by the church. Every convert is instructed and, and counseled by the church. Every convert is under the discipline of the true church. And what is pictured on earth is, is, is pictured in heaven. Now, when you think of the church tonight, I don't want you to think of a building. I want you to think of a body of people. And of course, there's two great street extremes to avoid. Don't exalt the church too highly. Don't make an idol of the church. Don't make the church into a virtual saviour. Sometimes when we think of the church, we think of an institution being invested with great authority and tremendous power, which God never really designed for it. You see, I think of many co-religionists tonight in Northern Ireland, and they have substituted Christ for the church. The church is regarded, revered as the saviour. And when we go knocking on their door and talk to them about Christ, talk to them about believing in him, talking to them about being born of the Spirit and, and blessed through faith in Christ, they talk about, but I've got my church. What are they doing? They're exalting the church too highly. You think tonight of the Roman Catholic Church. The Roman Catholic institution has made the church to be the saviour. Think of her statement. There's no salvation outside the church, meaning, of course, the Roman Catholic Church. And many cults today do exactly the same thing. There's another danger, another extreme, an equally big danger, and that is reacting to that extreme of exalting the church too highly by priding oneself and saying, well, I belong to no church. I attend no church. I'm just as good a Christian as the next man and I can stay at home. I can read on my own. I can pray on my own. I can worship on my own. I can live as a Christian on my own. What you're really saying is nobody's good enough to meet with me. I'm in a higher plane than anybody else. I don't need anybody else. But think of the coal falling out of the fire. It smokes for a time. Then it eventually goes out. 
And I'm not talking tonight of those who face persecution and have to meet in secret, meet in maybe twos and threes, meet in the house. I'm not talking about people who are struggling with health issues and can't be out in regular attendance at the house of God. I'm not speaking even about those who find difficulty in extreme weather conditions like what we're experiencing today in being absent from the house of God. I'm thinking about those who set aside what value the assembling of God's people is. Those who set aside what the mission of God's people ought to be. Those who set aside the, the worship of God's people together. Remember Paul says in Hebrews 10 and 25, Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. See, this is not just a special class. This is not the priests. This is not the nobles. This is not the great men. When, when Jeremiah said, The precious sons of Zion... He, he was referring to all of them collectively. And here's his description of them. They're the sons of Zion. They're the inhabitants of this place. They're the citizens and the children who were born there, who, who, who believed there, who were blessed there. That's the description. Notice something else which struck me. The declaration of God's people. He says how precious the, the precious sons of Zion comparable to fine gold. Think of the word precious. God's people. You tonight in Christ. Born of the spirit. Washed in the blood. Who have believed in Christ. Not only is Christ precious to you. But you tonight are precious to God. The, the, the word precious of course I've already said it means um, highly valued, greatly esteemed, deeply cherished. And you think of the love tonight that the Lord has for you as one of his own children. I think of what Jeremiah the prophet says in an earlier prophecy in Jeremiah 31 and 3. The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore with loving kindness have I Drawn. You think tonight you're loved with an everlasting love from eternity past. God set his electing love upon you in Christ. God says in Hosea 14 verse 4, I will love them freely, without any money, without price, without you deserving or desiring even that love. You think of the fact that you're loved sacrificially. Galatians 2 and 20, Paul says, the son of God who loved me. And gave himself for me. You, you think of the cost to purchase and redeem the church. Does in Acts 20, 28, the Apostle Paul said to the church elders at Ephesus, Feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Love sacrificially. And all that that entails. The death and the blood shedding of Christ. Every aspect of his physical and mental sufferings do you know tonight that you're loved perpetually it says in John 13 verse 1 having loved his own he loved them unto the end we were singing this morning and I, I sang that deliberately Jesus loves me how, how does he love me everlastingly freely sacrificially Perpetually. You, you think tonight of all that's involved. The redemption of the sons of Zion. The regeneration of the sons of Zion. 
the justification of the sons of Zion, a full and free and forever pardon. The sanctification of the sons of Zion, the adoption of the sons of Zion into God's family, the glorification. And it's all tied into this glorious theme of the love of God. How highly valued they are in his sight, how he greatly esteems them, how he treasures them tonight. Do you know that the Father himself loves you, loves the sons of Zion? Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, his eternal and only begotten Son, he loves you as well. How do I know that? Well, the Bible tells us here in Ephesians 5 and 25, Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. The church is the apple of his eye. Oh, I'm not thinking about a building. I'm not thinking about a denomination tonight. I'm thinking about a body of people who have believed in Christ to the saving of their soul, who have been born of the Spirit, who have been blessed with the wonderful gift of of salvation. You you think tonight of Israel's high priest. You, You think of his garments that he wore going in to represent God's people before Jehovah himself and the Day of Atonement. He wore a breastplate. And in that breastplate was 12 stones. And in those 12 stones were engraved the names of all the tribes of Israel. You think also on his shoulders he had two stones. With the names of six tribes in one stone. And the names of six tribes in another stone. You can read about this here in Exodus chapter 25. And right through to verse 28. Do you know what the high priest is saying? When he goes in to represent God's people before the Lord. To put the blood of atonement on the, um, the, 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 the mercy seat. He's saying I'm carrying you in the heart. I have you in the heart. I bear the weight of thee on the shoulders before God. And another scripture he testifies. I have graven thee in the palms of my hands. You see that, that's how much he loves us tonight. He carries us in his heart. We're in his thoughts. He he bears with our hurts and our burdens. Did you know the Spirit of God also loves you tonight? Aren't we born of the Spirit? Doesn't he undwell us? The Bible talks about being led of the Spirit into the path of truth and righteousness. The Spirit helps us in prayer. Romans chapter 8 verse 26 and, and 27. You see, it's not the world's view that I'm concerned about. You see, it doesn't matter how the ungodly man views us. It doesn't matter how society looks upon this body of people who are called the sons of Zion. It doesn't matter as long as we know in our heart of hearts that we're precious to the Lord. It doesn't matter if men or women fail to love the church or or have any regard for it. But it matters if we're highly esteemed and greatly valued and deeply treasured by the Lord. Here's the declaration. The precious sons of Zion. Not just the sons of Zion, 
but, but the precious sons of Zion. Isn't the witness and the work and the worship of the body of God's people precious? Do, do you know that it's written, Psalm 87 and verse 2, that the Lord loveth the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob? You think of the dwelling place. That's where they lived. Their houses, whether they were made of just tents or whether they were there were buildings with mud and wood, etc., etc., whether they owned land or property or whatever you occupied. Over and above their own personal dwellings, the Lord loveth the gates of Zion. More than all the buildings of Jacob. Why? Because the Lord loves the place of corporate witness. The place of corporate worship. The, the place where the, the preaching of the word. The place where there's praise offered. The, the place where, where the word of God is opened and read. Uh, uh, and he has a high regard for that place. Where the people of God meet for worship. Because they're his people. And they're precious in his sight. Is there any wonder the psalmist said the set time to favour Zion has come Lord. Not only the description of God's people and the declaration of God's people. But I want you to think of the desirability of God's people. If you look at the text, it says, the precious sons of Zion, comparable to fine gold. How are they esteemed as earthen pictures, the work of the hands of the potter? You see, he compares them to fine gold. Fine gold, of course, is the best gold. It's the most pure. You know, there's there's different carats for gold. You can get 14 carat gold. I think you get 18 carat. You might even get 22 carat. You might even get 24 carat. Um, I think 24 is the highest. Well, well, that would be the comparison. It would be like pure gold, fine gold. In other words, they were weighed with the best. And whenever they were weighed with the best, they were found to be compared to the best. They, 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 they were equal to the weight of this gold in, in estimation, in evaluation. And, and, and that, that's the thought there. You see, here's why she's desired. Her dress is precious. The church and every individual in Christ is dressed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us, For he that is God hath made him that is Christ to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. The Bible talks about the, the righteousness of the saints. The Bible tells us here that the king's daughter is all glorious within. Her clothing is of wrought gold. She shall be brought unto the king in raiment of needlework. The virgins shall her companions that follow her shall be brought unto thee with gladness and rejoicing shall they be brought they shall enter into the king's palace we could open this up tonight her dress is precious why because she's not dressed in the filthy rags of her iniquity she's not dressed in her sinfulness she's dressed in the robes of christ's perfect righteousness he has given her that robe because she's believed in him and trusted in him as lord and saviour her desire is precious. 
Remember the psalmist said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. Her desires after God. As the psalmist said, as the heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee. O my God, my soul longeth for God. For the living and the true God. When shall I come and appear before him? You see, if we have a love to God, we will have a love to the assembling of God's people. We, we will have a, a love for the church. We, we'll have a love for the sanctuary. And, we, and we'll have a desire not only to love him, but we'll have a desire to live for him. And, and we'll have a desire to be lawful to him. And it's because, remember Peter, lovest thou me more than these, Peter, more than these fish? Didn't Paul say in 1 Corinthians 16 and 22, If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema. The word anathema means let him be damned. Let him go into the lowest hell. And that desire for God, loving him, living for him, loyal to him, means that we'll have a hatred for the things which dishonor the Lord, uh, things which displease the Lord, uh, things which are an abomination in the sight of the Lord. Didn't he say, if you love me, keep my commandments? Her desire, her duty is precious. What's the duty of the sons of Zion? It's to trust and obey. <coughs> now, now look at this as we finish. Jeremiah is asking the question. The precious sons of Zion, the citizens of Jerusalem, the children of the city of God, the ones that are comparable to fine gold, who, who are weighed with fine gold and found worthy to be described as such, how are they esteemed as earthen pictures? The works of the hands of the potter. How is that possible? The answer is unbelief and disobedience. You see, earthen pictures are easily broken. Earthen pictures are hollow. Earthen pictures have no real value. Not even in the eyes of men. And Jeremiah knows that because of sin, sin has brought judgment, the sin of unbelief, the, the, the sin of disobedience to God, and, and a failure to repent and, and listen to his call has meant that now the precious sons of Zion, ones comparable to fine gold, that they're esteemed in the eyes of men as nothing more than broken pictures, hollow pictures with no real value, to be counted as nothing. And as I close tonight, I think of the words of John. In John, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2, remember what he says, 1 John 3 and 2, he says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. In other words, as the ungodly looks upon us, they don't see us as the sons of God. They see us as mad and see us as oddballs and see us with many other descriptive things that they could flack up and throw into our face. And then he adds this, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. When we see the face of Jesus, then we'll realize just how precious he really is.
But that's the desirability of the sons of God. Her dress is precious. Her desire is precious. But her duty is precious. She was meant to trust and obey. Doesn't the hymn writer say trust and obey? For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Are you trusting tonight? Are you, are you willing to obey what the Lord says as you live out your life? Remember he said, if you love me, keep my commandments. All of them. We'll take it seriously. That means we'll have a serious view of sin. We'll have a hatred of it. We will have a love for that which is right. And we'll seek to declare and to defend that which is right to the glory of God. I trust this evening that the Lord will bless these few words to your heart. And you'll think about this theme. And if you're born of the Spirit, you believe in Christ, and you're blessed with salvation, then you're a son of Zion. But you're a precious son of Zion, comparable to fine gold. And even though in the eyes of the world you're esteemed just like a hollow picture with, picture with no value, that's not how the Lord sees you tonight in Christ. May the Lord take these few thoughts and bless them to you this evening.